Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Under the Sun. This is the unofficial podcast of the Sunbelt Conference. My name is Kyle Nashheim. I hope everyone is having a great day. We just got done with Conference Championship Saturday. And based on that, we have a very special guest. We're going to continue to tease this special guest until we are decide at the right time to tell you who our special guest is. But once again, as always, I can't do this alone. The man, the myth, the legend, TJ O'Sullivan. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing well, Kyle. I, uh, I'm excited to talk some Sunbelt this week. Um, it is a bittersweet moment as, you know, we have uh, the Sunbelt football season coming to a close. We've still got bowl season, though. Um, right. So I am I am excited that we've still got some football to watch, but we've got a ton packed in this episode. Like you said, Kyle, we've got a great guest coming on later in the show. We're going to talk about that Sunbelt championship game. We're going to talk about news around the conference, as always, and give you a basketball update. So I do want to ask one question. I do want to ask one question before we uh, we, we do around the sun. Would you say our guest is MVP Calver? I think now you're just giving it away, but uh, (laughs) I mean, I I would say so at least, at least one person who attended the, um, the Sunbelt game thought so. Um, but so, right. you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to tease it throughout the episode. You guys probably already know who it is, but I really want to make sure that I say this at the top of the episode. Um, just some housekeeping stuff. Number one, uh, you guys know that we're on Instagram at under the sun SBC on Instagram, but we also have a Twitter now. So you can follow us on Twitter at UTS pod. Again, that's at UTS pod. UTS stands for under the sun. Of course, Uh, we're going to keep it um, as updated as we can. Uh, Any news that we hear regarding the Sunbelt conference, uh, you'll see a tweet up there about uh, Jamie Chadwell um, leaving for uh, coast, uh, leaving coastal Carolina for Liberty, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. Um, but you know, we try to keep it as updated as we can follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. And the second thing I want to say is we are available wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on anchor, Apple podcasts and Spotify, Google podcasts. Uh, but the big one is Spotify because when we upload these podcasts, we have a question and answer Uh, available to you guys to engage with us. And we want to hear what you guys are thinking. So if you're listening on Spotify, make sure that you take the time to scroll down, answer the Q and a for each episode. We try to keep it uh, ever changing and um, it, it goes away after the next episode comes out. So Mm-hmm. Um, just make sure you guys, you know, engage with us, share your thoughts. We'll shout you out on the podcast. We'll talk about topics that you guys want to hear. Um, but that's just a little bit of housekeeping stuff. So in conclusion, right. follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at UTS pod, and make sure that you're filling out those question and answers on Spotify. But Kyle, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah. And if you want to give us a dollar so we can get verified we'll be more than happy to take it yeah <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to figure out uh getting um the the blue check mark on both of those but uh stay tuned for well, that. I'll, I'll, we'll say all on twitter now all day 
takes is eight dollars. I don't know if that's a monthly fee or a yearly fee. I don't it's know. A, it's, it's a monthly fee. Um, but well, hey, who knows? You know, we are the only under the sun podcast, uh, unofficial podcast of the Sun Belt Conference. So uh, it makes sense that we'd be verified. Uh, <laughs> we should. But Kyle, why don't we jump right into it now that we've gotten some of the housekeeping out of the way? We've got a great uh, segment for you coming up. We're going to be talking about women's volleyball, indoor track and field, some women's soccer, where we talk about the all conference teams and much, much more. So I'm going to pass it around for Kyle to take us for a trip around the sun. Thank you, TJ. Let's go around the sun. Let's start in the world of women's volleyball, the NCAA tournament going on. And unfortunately, the Sunbelt representative, James Madison, lost three sets to none to number seven seed BYU, ending their season with a 24-5 record. Moving on to the volleyball equivalent of the NIT, Troy and Louisiana unfortunately lost their opening round matchups to UT Martin and South Dakota State, respectively. Southern Miss carrying the banner for the Sunbelt Conference in postseason play. They defeated Alabama State and UT Martin to make their quarterfinals. As we are recording this on December 7th, they are currently playing Western Carolina in Coloe, North Carolina. We will have results of that matchup next week. Moving on down to indoor track and field, Troy participated in the Birmingham Southern College Icebreaker event. Vinyosa Izuzke won the women's weight throw with a throw of 16.53 meters, also finishing second in the women's shot put. South Alabama track star Kamani Yego participated in the Sharon Coyier Invitational at Boston University, setting a school and Sunbelt record by finishing the race with a time of 1338.45 in the 5,000 meter indoor race. Congratulations. The honors for women's soccer's keep coming out. The United Soccer Coaches announced their all-regional teams. And let's look at the Southeast Regional. In the first team, goalkeeper Alexandra Bloom from James Madison is the lone representative from the Sun Belt. Second team, multiple uh, representatives, three defenders, uh, Sade Heinrichs from Georgia Southern, Brittany Munson from James Madison, and Wayana Plata from uh, Texas State. Midfielder Noor Amani Adi from South Alabama. Amanda Anetsi from James Madison. And Carla Morich from Old Dominion. Uh, the last two were forwards. Uh, Adi is the only midfielder. Let's move on to the third team. One defender, Riley Kennett from Old Dominion. One forward, Morgan White from Marshall. And the rest are midfielders, Abigail Miller, E.C. Togolu, and Lexi Vanderlinden from Arkansas State, Old Dominion, and James Madison, respectively. Let's go on some more conference news. Appalachian State Cindy is sending seven wrestlers to the Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational this weekend. That roster including John John Miller, who's the number third ranked at 149 pounds, Caleb Smith, number 19 at 125, Sean Carter, number 19 at 133, and Will Fermetto, number 22 at 165 pounds. Good luck in Vegas. Old Dominion was represented in the U.S. Open Swimming Championships by Noah Wilkinson and Tara Inking. Wilkins finished 22nd in the 100-yard freestyle, 
49th in the 50-yard freestyle and 30th in the 100-yard butterfly. His time in the 100-yard freestyle was a personal record. Congratulations. And finally, N-King set a career best time in the 200-meter IM with a time of 223.73, finishing 38th. And that, TJ, is around the sun. Thank you very much, Kyle. That is your trip around the sun. Some great news from around the conference. And now, as always, we're going to move right into our Sunbelt basketball update. Starting with the men's. Number 24, San Diego State defeated Troy 60-55. to Amir Muhammad led all scorers with 21 points, but wasn't enough to overcome the Aztecs in the second-half comeback. Number three, Virginia defeated James Madison 55-50. to The Cavaliers won despite going 23.8 from behind the arc and 50% from the charity stripe. Some other surprises around the men's division. Southern Miss, who went into the game 8-0, finally lost to Northwestern State 84-82. Northwestern's DeMarcus Sharp hit a last-second jumper that gave him 32 points for the game and handed Southern Miss their first loss of the season. Some conference news in basketball. Three Sunbelt teams were ranked in the latest top 25 mid-major poll. Louisiana stayed put at 7th. They are 7-1 on the season. Six wins in the month of November is a school record for the Raging Cajuns. Southern Miss comes in at number 18. As we said, they're 8-1 on the season. And Marshall, who lost their first game of the season, they haven't lost since. They're 7-1. And they come in at number 24 on the list. JMU and Texas State also received votes. But now we'll go over to the women. Old Dominion defeated Temple 77-65. to And I believe Kyle got that prediction right. Michaela Dickens from Old Dominion led all scorers with 18 points, scoring four of the Monarchs' eight baskets from downtown. Arkansas defeated Troy 87-70, and that pick I, once again, didn't get right. Troy lost despite getting 25 points from Michaela Hellman, leading all scores. Clemson defeated Georgia State 85-58. They outscored the Panthers 50-28 in the second and third quarters combined to pull away. Other surprises in the women, James Madison defeated VCU 62-60 on the strength of Kiki Jefferson's 17 points. She scored the final two points from the free throw line to seal the victory. And your conference player of the week is Coastal Carolina's Asia Blunt, who in her last two games, she went 23.5 points per game and 13 rebounds per game. Coastal went 1-1 one one in those games. They are 2-5 and five on the season tied for last in the conference, but great performance for Asia Blunt. And Kyle, that is your basketball update. Congratulations to Asia Blunt. Like she's really proven that she she is the driving force of the Coastal Carolina team. Said they're two and five on the year. Yeah, they are two and five on the year. Um, she had a breakout week, and it, it was just a matter of time before she jumped out. Uh, but I do want to say that the first two players of the week, there have been four awards awarded, and two of them have gone to JMU's Kiki Jefferson. 
And that is just a great, um, you know, look for the Dukes. Um, you know, Kiki Jefferson, We it, it seems like we're saying her name every single week. Uh, so I'm excited to see what she can do uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, the weeks to come. Absolutely. I mean, James Madison off to a six and three start on the season. You have Old Dominion six and two in the um, top of the women's standings. And then, of course, um, the Southern Miss game with North Northwestern State. That was actually um, a- after the Monday night football game. No, no, no the Sunday night football game. Um we turned to the ESPN and they had uh, Scott Van Pelt on his. And the one thing he saw all day was that highlight, the player who hit the game winner for Northwestern state in the second half hit a buzzer beater at the fir- end of the first half for the Northwestern state demons. Uh, yes, that's the first loss for Southern miss, but a great start to the season for a team moving to a new conference. So um, who knows? Maybe this is a little bit of a magic for the next couple weeks, and we'll see what happens when we get closer to uh, conference play. Well, they've but, got some big shoes to fill. As you know, the Southern Miss football team uh, really did well this year, better than a lot of people thought. Um it, it sucks that, you know, they, they lose on some deja vu buzzer beaters, but you know um, I'm, I'm excited for Southern miss. I think that they're going to be a problem down the line, just looking right. at who they've beaten, looking at uh, what their record is right now. I mean, this is obviously a good group of guys. I was going to say, we also want to give props to Jordan Brown. Uh, uh, Louisiana junior forward was named the uh, men's basketball player of the week, averaged 21.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds and 2.5 assists in uh, victories over in-state foes New Orleans and defending NAIA national champion Loyola of New Orleans. I mean, I know it's, it's not a big, not, not a powerhouse, but still you're averaging almost 22 points a game. That's, that's still very, very impressive. And Louisiana is going to scare some teams come conference time. I mean, the, the mid-major top 25 poll sure seems to think so. Um, and like I said, I think that they're the favorite for the West, um, at this point in time. And, and Jordan Brown is scary. Um, but Jordan Brown and Asia Blunt walking away with this week's honors. Uh, Kyle, you think it's time to move on to football? I think it's time to move on to football, but here's the thing is everyone else ready for the Sunbelt championship game. Coastal Carolina travels to Troy, Alabama to take on the Troy Trojans. Coastal looking to get a conference championship without having to share with anybody for the first time in school history. Troy looking for its seventh uh, title in the Sunbelt history. Let's we're going to dive in this quarter by quarter. Let's start with the first quarter. Troy wasted a little time moving down the field on their first drive, but the drive stalled at the Coastal 18, resulting in a 35-yard field goal by Brooks Busey. Grayson McCall making his first start in a month looked rusty out of the shoot, and Coastal was forced to punt after a three and out. Gunnar Watson decided to let his doubters know that he was also playing in the game with a 65-yard touchdown pass to Deshaun Stoudemire, putting Troy up 10 to nothing 
Watson passed for 158 yards and a touchdown to put Troy up 17-0 after the first quarter. McCall, on the other hand, four for five, but only for 12 yards. Coastal received the ball to start the second quarter, but a three and out put the shots in another inevitable position of making the defense stop the Trojan offense. Uh, spoiler alert, that did not happen as DK Billingsley rushed for 33 yards on the second play of the drive to increase the lead to 24-0. The Sean and Clear offense continued to sputter as they had their fourth three and out in five drives. Watson decided, I'm done playing games. He had a 67-yard touchdown pass to give them a 31-0 lead. It was insane, but Troy's first three and out would lead to Coastal's best drive so far, going 70 yards in three and a half minutes, seeing Grayson McCall scoring on an eight-yard touchdown run. Going into halftime up 31-7, the Trojans had two players on the cusp of 100 yards receiving. TJ, what happened in the second half? Well, Coastal received the second-half kickoff and tried to close the gap. Jared Brown caught a 30-yard pass for his first score of the day. Troy would immediately answer with another Rajay Johnson touchdown reception and put the score at 38-13. Shauna Clears would give it right back on a Grayson McCall fumble on the first play of the next drive, and it gave the Trojans seven yards to score. D.K. Billingsley got his third rushing touchdown of the night to make it a four-score game. Three rushing touchdowns is a career high for D.K. Billingsley. Coastal ended the drive with the ball on the Troy 11, facing a fourth and nine, which brings us to the fourth quarter. The shot quarter started with a Sam Pinckney touchdown reception, but the two-point conversion failed, making the score 45-19. to Coastal actually attempted two two-point conversions in that game and neither one of them were very pretty. Uh, Troy started to play conservatively and kept the ball on the ground for the rest of the game. And Coastal got the ball with 10 minutes and 12 seconds left and McCall passed for 69 yards on that drive, led to a 21-yard touchdown reception to Tyson Mobley. One more chance for the shots with 5.01 left. They had to drive 94 yards to get another score. McCall drove them down to the Troy 10-yard line before Troy defender T.J. Harris picked off Grayson McCall to seal the victory and the seventh conference title for the Trojans. Your final score, 45-26, Troy wins the 2022 Sun Belt Conference Championship in football. Now, Kyle talking about this game you know there's a lot of stuff that we have to 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 unwrap here but i got a couple of questions that i'd like to pose to you and and we can go back and forth um number one the very first thing you know everyone you know as you said with with gunner watson um having you know probably the game of his life um in that game um and he reminded everybody that he was also playing because the big story going into opening kickoff was the fact that Grayson McCall was suited up. He hasn't played since the app state game. So I got to ask you, you know, should Grayson McCall have played in this game? Hmm. 
So that's that's an interesting question. Um, because, you know, if you look at the information we had available prior to the game, I would say yes. You know, if, if he's healthy, he gives um, Coastal the best chance to win the game. Um, he is the star quarterback. And if he's on the field, our odds of winning are increased. Now, as something we'll talk about a little later on, we don't know when certain events happened that led to a coaching change in Conway. If the uh, if the team was aware of the impending move after the championship game prior to the game, if I was Grayson McCall, I, I would have said, I'm, I'm not suiting up. I may go to a bowl. I may go to the bowl game or I may just enter the transfer portal or I may declare for the NFL draft. Um, but like I said, we don't know when the, when the team found out the information, which we'll talk about with Jamie Chadwell. So there's, there's really just two layers to that story. If they knew beforehand, I think Grayson should have just not played and get himself healthier for a possible bowl game or get ready for spring ball or the combine. But if the team didn't know going into the game, then absolutely Grayson should have played. He would have given them the best shot to win. And I think, uh, you know, because we're on that topic, you know, and, and I, I agree. I think that Grayson McCall should have definitely played in that game for the same reasons that, that you said, but since we're talking about it, we might as well jump down. I mean, there's been a coaching carousel in, uh, in, in the Sunbelt, but let's start with the big one. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, as we said at the top of the show, he leaves Coastal Carolina following the Sunbelt Championship game. He becomes the head coach of the Liberty Flames. Uh, Chadwell was replaced by Tim Beck, most recently the offensive coordinator for two seasons at North Carolina State. Now, considering that quick turnaround with Chadwell taking the Liberty job, not even 12 hours after the championship game, do you think the same question, basically, should McCall have played in that game? Do you think that Chadwell should have coached that game? So I remember So I remember waking up Sunday morning to a, and seeing an ESPN alert. I'm thinking it's something to do with the World Cup or um, the uh, way too early prediction for the ball games. And it says coast, you know, coastal coaching search shouldn't last long. And I'm like, coaching search. What coaching search? Then I looked and I and I, I, I screenshotted and sent to you at about ten twenty-five. Article was broken at about nine fifty a.m. Not even twelve hours after, or probably about twelve hours after the game had concluded, that Jamie Chanwell had agreed to a seven-year deal with Liberty. So, which which was was shocking. Like we expected him to leave. We we preparing ever since the twenty twenty season. You know, you have that good a run at a group of five school. 
big schools are going to are, are are going to look at you. We didn't expect it to be Liberty. Yeah, no, I I did not expect and, it to but, be Liberty at all. No, no, no one did. But and we we want to sit here and say that we're we're looking at this purely from. Uh, a journalistic standpoint, we had Jamie Chadwell on the show. He was our first guest. Uh, he was gracious with his time and what he did for this university, uh, Coastal Carolina, we, we cannot repay. He made Coastal football fun to watch. All right. Tim Beck has the, the bars here. He has to go higher. But back to what I said about Grayson McCall. If he knew he was leaving for Liberty before the, I would say before they left for Troy, if he knew that was his last game, he shouldn't have got on that plane. He should have told his team, I have an offer at Liberty. I'm going to take it. Coach Staggs is going to be the interim coach for the championship game and, and the ball game. If he knew he was going to Liberty before before he stepped on that plane, he should not have been on that plane. Once again, I don't think we'll ever know when the offer was given and when the offer was accepted. It could have been after he landed. But once once he got into Troy, he, he should have coached the game. And, you know, it's crazy because in, in the same 24-hour window, that Jamie Chadwell left Coastal for Liberty. Deion Sanders left Jackson State for Colorado. Deion Sanders told his team after the game, he's been upfront with them the entire time. I have these offers. I have been talking to him, but I'm still here putting into work. He told his team. And, and he, he put it on social media for everyone to see that I'm, I'm accepting this job at Colorado. I will be here for the bowl game to try to win the HBCU national championship. I want to leave you high and dry. But after that game, 100% of my energy is in Colorado. He's getting, he's getting slack for that. He's getting – I want to use some words, but I'm not going to. But he's getting a lot of you-know-what because of how he handled it. But he handled it the right way. He was transparent about it. We don't know when uh, the players found out from Jamie Chadwell. But what is what has everyone been saying about Chadwell? Okay, he's going to do a great job at Liberty. So if – if like I'll go back to what I was saying, if he knew he was leaving before the plane left uh, Myrtle Beach, he should not have been on that plane. If he didn't find out until after, then you know, once he once he touched down Troy, he should have coached the game. I just hope that he was transparent with with the team and the, and and the players and the coaching staff, because if it wasn't the legacy that Jamie Chadwell will leave is that of. I'm going at it. I'm, I'm leaving town for the money. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I, I agree with you on, on that front. Um, more of my concern is the fact that you're going to sign a seven year deal that you earned from creating a group of five powerhouse. You're going to take a seven year deal 
at another group of five school. Like that's, that's my main thing is, is, you know, Jamie Chadwell in terms of, of coaching carousels, probably been the hottest name on the block for, for the past two years. Um, he's, you know, if, if you were going to take a job, you know, I honestly, I thought he was going to take, uh, the USC job when it opened up, when Clay Helton came down to, uh, to Georgia Southern, I I thought that he was going to, his name was at least going to be mentioned for that one. I thought for sure it was going to be Colorado. Um, but Mm -hmm. then, and then, you know, the, the Auburn job was open for about 30 seconds. I thought that maybe, you know, he might replace, uh, he might replace the coach there, but I just think it's a lateral move, you know, and, and yeah. I will never, I'll never shame anyone for, you know, going and improving a salary. Like I'm, I'm never, yeah. never in my life. Are you going to hear me say, oh man, sell out? No, I, I never, if, if, if his priority was to make money, he definitely did it. And you know what props yeah. to props to him. I wish him and his family well, because you know he's earned every dime of that. But Absolutely. I just think, I just think, you know, if you're if you're gonna cash in on an investment that you made for for three of the best years in Coastal's history, why wouldn't you take that and cash in on the jackpot and go get yourself a Power Five job when it opens up? Here, here's an interesting thing. So, and I have some very interesting takes on the uh on the jamie on the, on this move um i will definitely be more colorful and animated on the blind tag podcast uh I hopefully can, it should I be dropping and i cannot wait to be listening to that absolutely <laughs> but um my my thing is this not only liberty is the only school and so here, here here's here's an interesting thing when you move up from FCS to FBS, the number one requirement is you I, I, imagine it's going into a club. You're an FCS school. You're going into the FBS club. You have to have a ticket. That means you got invited by a conference before they will even let you in the door. Liberty is the only school to have moved to have uh, moved up to FBS and not have conference a a, a conference affiliation with a F, F, FBS conference. That's insane, you know. And a lot of a lot of the funding um, from Liberty, you know, for um, someone asked me what Liberty, uh, what Liberty University was, and here's the here's the only way I can tell to anyone to, to make sense. Liberty is to evangelical Christians what Notre Dame is to Catholics, and what BYU is to the Mormon faith. If if you are in that faith, it is your destiny. You, you know, if you don't get into Liberty, it is it is soul crushing. If you're a Catholic, if you don't get into Notre Dame, it's soul crushing. If you're a Mormon, you don't get into BYU, it's soul crushing. So, and there's a lot of ba- there's a lot of backers in the in the uh, boosters for Liberty who have very 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 good uh, financial connections. 
that's the reason that's the reason why they're able to as a independent school that's moving to conference usa or the remnants of what was a decent conference that's the only reason they're able 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 to match it and it i i think it was i don't think it was more money i think it was uh it, maybe it was faith-based we don't know um, I, I know he got a lot of flack from uh, uh, coastal fans and and students and alumni. I had a very interesting chat with a couple people from WCC Radio, and one of them basically just disowned him like uh, like it was a cat that just ran away. Like, okay, whatever, we got a new one. So it's it, it, it's surreal. I know it's a business, and once again, like, like you know, I, I agree with what you said. Um, you, we will never doubt anyone or question anyone that wants to go up their pay from here to here. That's that's what everyone wants to do. I just hope that um, he he did it the right way. And telling his team and telling the players, because those are the people that got him to the position where he can take four million a year from Liberty for over seven years. Yeah, and and if you want to hear more about the um, the opinions on the move, uh, like Kyle said, check him out on the uh, the Blind Tag podcast, um, and you know we'll we'll drop some more information about that later on in the show. But I do want to get back to the main uh, point of this um of of this entire uh segment which is the fact that the Troy Trojans completely dominated the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears. Oh and you know and you know it was just and and you know like we we definitely just jumped into some of the ramifications on the coastal side uh because it was huge news in the Sun Belt but we cannot take away from the absolute domination on the Troy side of the ball, 31 unanswered points to start the game. And from that point on, it was pretty much over. I mean, you look at the, uh, you look at some of the stat lines, um, Rajay Johnson, four receptions for 134 yards and two touchdowns. Deshaun Stoudemire just missed out on 100 yards. He finished with 99 on three catches and a touchdown. You look at DK. Also had 99 problems, and he was all of them. Yeah, exactly. DK Billingsley, another one. Troy rushing. He had 57 yards, but like we said, he had three rushing touchdowns. Kamani Vidal actually led the way with carries, and he ended up with 53 yards. So, I think that Coastal's defense did a good job of actually stopping the run. Troy only had, as a team, 93 rushing yards, which is surprising after Kamani Vidal dropped over 200 rushing yards in back-to-back weeks going into this game. But 93 rushing yards, unfortunately, gave up three goal-line touchdowns. So, I mean, it's it's tough to see. But, I mean, we got to talk about – the the man of the hour gunner watson uh he brought home um mvp honors uh he went 12 for 17 uh on the game for 318 yards three 
touchdowns and his first half in that game, the best half of his career. Okay. Let's take a look at his first half stats. Okay. Nine of 12, nine of 12 for 266 yards and two touchdowns. That is his best half in his collegiate career. He finished with 318 passing yards. That's his sixth highest total in his career. His career best being 351 against Alabama A&N earlier this year. And then against Louisiana last year, he missed out by a yard. So 350. And he, he did the 318 in three quarters because he, he did not pass a single time in that fourth quarter. Yeah, imagine if he had a oh full four quarters worth of game. That's he's on pace for an over four hundred yard day. He's on pace for four Absolutely. touchdowns. He he was just he was the difference maker, and you know that kind of brings home. Uh, he 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 helps Troy bring home their seventh conference championship, um, and now the interesting part about Troy winning is. This continues the streak with the home team winning every single Sun Belt Conference championship game. So, Kyle, I'll mm-hmm. open it up for you. With the home team winning every championship game, should the conference keep this format of having the best overall record host, or should they have the game at a neutral site? Hmm. So... If, if, if you're looking at air, uh, places that could host the Sunbelt um, championship game, I'm in within the uh, um, um, footprint. You got Charlotte, but they host the ACC championship game. You got Atlanta, but they host the SEC championship game. New Orleans possibly uh, ha- have the championship game in the, in the Superdome. But even I mean, then, the, the Sun Belt Conference office is in the Superdome. So, I mean, that's sense. that's true. That it, it does make sense, absolutely. But um, you have a situation where you know you, the, the the MAC has their championship game in Ford Field, and I think I I think there are more empty seats than people in seats. So that's the problem. But at the same time, you're you're rewarding the team with the best record with the home game for a championship game. I I say you do it this way. You make it to where it's at a neutral site, but it's at a it's on a campus of a of a championship game of of, of a Sun Belt team. So say Coastal versus Troy. Uh, Coastal had um, say whoever whoever has the best record after like week five, uh, th- that division uh, a team gets to gets to host it. Say we have it at, at Appalachian State. Coastal versus Troy at at at, at Kid Brewer Stadium uh, would bring back a lot of memories from Troy, not necessarily good ones. And would bring back some memories from App. I mean from Coastal, not necessarily good ones. So. I mean, unless you do it in the Superdome, uh, I, I really don't see a way that it making sense. 
because even then what I just proposed was is convoluted. So I think until you come up with a situation where you can find a stadium that has about a 30,000 seat capacity in the footprint, uh, I, I agree. You, uh, you, you, you keep it at the home of the uh, best, whoever had the best record in the Sun Belt. But you also have more clear defined uh, tiebreakers instead of the uh, crazy ones that we read. Yeah, and, and I, I, I like that. But it, it, the one thing that I will say is the fact that Troy did a really good job of getting students into the seats, and it was loud. It was very loud. You don't, you barely ever see Coastal Carolina's offensive line struggle with the snap count, and that happened multiple times. There were a ton of false starts, uh, and Troy did their job. You know, and 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 on top of that, you know, the the center uh, Willie Lampkin ended up uh, overshooting McCall on a couple occasions on the snap, which didn't help either. But I think that, like, you know. As you said, it's it's better to get people in the seats, but on the other hand, you are giving them home field advantage. You are allowing them to get as loud as possible on the opponent's offensive drives. And yeah. The other thing to consider is the fact that, you know, talking about um, you know, just just an example that I was I was thinking about the other day, uh the Birmingham Bowl is Coastal Carolina versus Eastern Carolina. East Carolina has to go past coastal in order to get to Birmingham, Alabama. So like if you get a neutral site that doesn't make sense for either team, neither team's going to travel well. So there, once again, you know, fans in the seats is important. So I don't necessarily have an answer here. I I think that at the time being, I don't necessarily, I, I think that it's a good reward for your regular season to be able to have that home field advantage. But at some point, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's figure out travel situations for some of your fans and uh, we can get into um, some, some actual uh, neutral site games. And now joining us is the special guest. We've been teasing all episode. We figured if we were going to talk about the game of the year, we might as well bring on the man who made it happen for the Trojans. Joining us from Troy, Alabama, the most valuable player of the 2022 Sunbelt Championship game, Troy quarterback Gunner Watson. Gunner, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you all for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, once again, congratulations on winning the MVP. Uh, how does it feel to bring Troy its first conference championship in five seasons? Uh, it, it does feel awesome. I know my um, freshman year we played. It was before they started the championship game. We played to uh, we played in App State up there for the last game to I think clinch the title, and we didn't win it. And I wasn't playing at the time, but it it is awesome. It's been a long time coming. Now we talked with um, your the the Trojans color commentator Jerry Miller and uh, Coastal Sam Wiederhaft last week. And they both agreed on one point, which is that Coastal Carolina's defense needed to pressure you in order to give Coastal their best chance to win. But it seemed, you know, I guess I wanted to ask, like, did you guys know that going in they were going to send their front four as much as they did? Because you you seemed really comfortable rolling out and throwing on the run, and and you you completed a lot of passes that way. Oh uh, yeah, we uh, we knew rushing the ball for two hundred plus yards 
Kamani had two back-to-back games with 200-plus yards, so we knew coming into it they were going to load the box, and they were they were not going to let us run the ball up, up and down the field. So we knew that coming into it, and we knew they'd try to get an extra hat in the box to fit the run, and we knew to win the game we were going to have to throw the ball. So Absolutely, and you guys dominated for the entire game from coin toss to the final whistle. Uh, you're talking about you knew that they were going to be loading the box what was the mentality in the locker room uh, the entire week leading up to the game, just getting yourselves ready for, uh, for the championship game? I think I think everybody was a, a little nervous, to be honest with you. I mean, it's the biggest game most of us have ever played in our lives. I mean, some of us played in state championship games. I didn't. It was definitely the biggest game of my career. And uh, I think the biggest thing was is just that everybody – we always talked about everybody needed to just do their job. You don't have to be – bigger than you are you just got to do your job and that's what coach Summerall preaches and um I think I said this in the post game presser too I said that um coach Popovich and coach Craddock and our O-line and Austin Stidham hey they always preach play your best ball when it matters most and I think that's what we did well certainly for you I mean you walked away with uh the championship game MVP award uh, you finished with 318 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, but what I want to take a look at is your first half stats. Um, I I could not find a better half in your collegiate career when I was looking, uh, preparing for this. Your first half stats, you went nine for 12 for 266 yards and two touchdown. Like I said, could be the best half of your career. And it that game helped you propel into fifth place uh, on the Troy career passing list. Um, so I want to ask what went into your preparation the week prior personally, uh, what went into your preparation the week prior, because you, you just seem to be clicking on all cylinders. Uh, I mean, I think I did the same thing that I've done all year preparing wise, but I think this week we were, I mean, it's an important game. So you're going to be a little bit more focused It's a championship game. And I felt like that, our game plan was simple and it was easy to execute. And um, Coach Craddock and Coach Pop, they did a good job of uh, making that game plan simple. We knew what we wanted to do and we knew what we had to do to win the game. And I think that was the biggest thing, just knowing exactly what to do. And they did a great job coaching us up on that all week. And the one other thing that I did want to touch on in terms of preparation, um, you guys, you started the season one and two that week three game um you you guys lose uh you you guys lose on a hail mary um at uh at app state and you guys went on a tear from that point on so how big of an impact did that moment have on the locker room and and you in particular yeah that was me and um jared day you were talking about we've always wanted to be a part of a Hail Mary game, but we were both saying like, we didn't want to be on that side of it. It was, it was honestly sickening and um, just coming in the locker room after the game, it was terrible, but not that I was okay with us losing, but I think that that is what got us where we are today. I think that is what prevailed us win the championship. And we just went on a run after that. And we were, we wanted to meet them again in the championship. And that's what we were all saying after the game. Well, We'll see them again, but that ended up not happening. But I really do believe that is what lit a fire under us, and we went on that streak. Now, one one thing I was definitely listening to in, in, in reading articles about prior to the game was 
coastal this and coastal that, and is, is Grayson going to play? Um, did you guys go in, despite the fact you were hosting a championship game, did you guys go in with a chip on your shoulder thinking, wait, we're the, we're the team hosting. Why aren't you talking about us? Yeah, I think we've been like that all year. I think um, another game that was like that was South. Like everybody was talking about how good they were and, and this and that. And um, I think that's what Coach Summerall, he used to always show us the preseason rankings. They had us third in the West with no votes to win the West. And they nobody definitely mm. thought we were going to win the championship. So I think that definitely motivated us. Yeah, and I mean, that that was something that I noticed a lot too was just the fact that you guys – when we noticed throughout the podcast, you know, you guys quietly, you know, obviously you finish, um, you, you finish 11 and two, but you, you guys quietly had one of the better seasons, one of the best seasons in recent history. So, I mean, like, I, I don't understand how you guys fly under the radar like that, but does that sort of underdog mentality kind of building off of that question, does that underdog mentality um, sit with you guys? Like, you know, okay, get that chip on your shoulder, you know, let, let's, let's show them, you know, what we're actually made of here at Troy. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like I said, Summerall, cause Summerall does a great job with that. He's a, he's a fiery guy and he, he likes it. They were the underdog. And I think it really drives our defense because our defense, they know that they're good and they hate being overlooked. And, um, and I think also too, our offense started clicking later in the year because we were kind of, I mean, we were hearing some stuff from the defense, like we need y'all to score more points, which we stayed together. Defense and offense stayed together throughout the year. We never went back and forth about this and that. But I think that um, being the underdogs, basically, not every week, but in the big games like App and Coastal and South and those, being the underdog definitely helped us out. Well, I know one thing. Coastal has def- definitely made a habit of converting on fourth downs over the last several seasons. Um, well, you held him to two for four on fourth downs. Was that a concern for the team in preparation for this game? Uh, trying, trying not to get them into fourth and short situations where they could try to convert. Oh, I'm not really sure on the defensive side of the ball, if they were too concerned with that. I mean, I think they just were going out there to, to play and stop them. And I think the, the one stop on fourth down, I think Javon, he, they ran a little option play and he tackled uh, Grayson on that one play. I think that was huge. I think that really, because I think we went and scored and that really flipped the game. But yeah, they have been very good on fourth down. They're not scared to go for it. So, and that's props to their coach and they usually, they usually get it. But um, I think we did an awesome job of holding them. Yeah, you guys did. Uh, your defense has been you know, fantastic all year um, behind uh, Carlton Marshall. And I did want to take a, a second to, to talk about him. You know, he, he's the NCAA leader in career sacks. Um, what is it like, you know, being, you know, being able to uh, sit next to him in the locker room or every single week, watch him prepare um, one of the greats in, in college football on the defensive side of the ball. Can you, can you just touch on, what it's like, what he's like as a teammate? Uh, he's one of the best teammates I've ever had, for sure. And he's just a natural leader that loves the game. And um, you can't help but to get behind him, honestly. And he's been in Troy for a long time. He's a year older than I am. He's been here for six years. And um, he's a 
he's a guy that you want to get behind and you want on your side for sure. Absolutely. Now looking ahead to the Cure Bowl, uh, you guys going bowling this year, uh, going up against Texas San Antonio. Uh, they had a rags to riches story these past couple of years. You guys looking for your 11th straight win, which would tie a school record. Uh, in your opinion, what are the keys to success? Uh, looking at some of the film for uh, for uh, UTSA, uh, what are some of the keys to success in this game for you guys? Um, we've I've watched a little bit on them. They're uh, they're big up front and at linebacker, and in the back end they're even big. They have a big safety that's um, tall guy, and I think it's just the same the same thing we've been doing all year, um, just being more physical than the other team. That's what. Coach Pop likes to preach. We got to be more physical. Coach Craddock preaches that we got to be more physical than another team. And I think to win this game, we're going to have to be physical, and we're going to have to um, be the tougher team. Absolutely. Well, we wish you luck in the Cure Bowl. We congratulate you for uh, not only your MVP award before your Sun Belt Conference Championship. Um, we wanted to wrap things up. We do something over here on under the sun, uh, called the two minute drill, which, uh, Kyle over here is going to ask you some rapid fire questions because one of the main things, uh, that we like to do during our interviews is get to not only get to know some of the information from the players and coaches point of views, but we also want to connect the conference, uh, get our audience to know a little bit about you. So, Kyle's going to ask you some rapid fire questions uh, to wrap this up. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. First one, favorite movie of all time. Tombstone. Ooh, nice. If I'm in Troy, Alabama, what is the go-to restaurant? Makata. Makata? Okay. Uh, what, what 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 kind of food do they have? Is Japanese it, uh, food. barbecue. Japanese. Oh, I'm big, okay. I'm big All, sushi right. Guy. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, first pro sporting event you ever went to? Braves game. Okay. Uh, what song is your go-to in pre- in preparation for a game? <laughs> Sleeping on the blacktop, Coulter Wall. <laughs> okay. Do you have any pregame superstitions? You have to do one thing before every game, or otherwise it's going to be a bad game for you. Um, we went and ate at Preston Steakhouse in Troy every Thursday night. It was the same four guys. We went every Thursday night after the app loss, and we didn't lose after that. So you guys Did you order there? Se- so you guys will be there after uh, uh, on on Thursday then? No, we can't. We can't. Um, we usually we do it two days before game. We're going to try to find a steakhouse in Orlando and go eat there. Oh, wow. okay. Okay. But but did you order? Did you all four guys order the same thing every time? Yes, we ordered the same thing every single time. I was I was a little tired of it. Well, I recommend. You know, we went down um, last year to the Cure Bowl to cover uh, Coastal Carolina. Actually, we we went into the NBC uh, Sports Grill. So, uh, in it's in City Walk in Universal. So, I highly recommend that one if you want to get your steaks in. Got you. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Uh, first concert you ever went to? Kenny Chesney. Okay. And last. Last one, 
most important lesson you learned as part of the Troy community? Mm. Yeah, we had to throw a deep one in there on you. Yeah. Uh, I'd say just be yourself. Don't change who you are. When you get here, don't, don't, change, don't change the person that you um, were or where you came from. Just be yourself. Well, those are some words to live by. So Absolutely. Thank you very much. This is Gunnar Watson, the Sunbelt Championship MVP. Uh, they go up, Troy Trojans go up against UTSA in the Cure Bowl this year. Um, Gunnar, it's been a pleasure having you on. We hope to see you again soon, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you all. Have a good night. Well, special thanks once again to Gunnar Watson and Troy Athletics for coming on the show. Uh, heck of a performance from Watson. As we said, they're going up against UTSA uh, in the Cure Bowl this year. Uh, Sunbelt has a record seven teams going to bowl games, and we're going to do our bowl preview next week. Uh, but, Kyle, <clears throat> we had one team in particular in the Sunbelt that is not going bowling that we wanted to talk about a little bit. Absolutely. And – so going into this week or uh, after the championship games had happened, New Mexico State had been granted a waiver for going in with a 6-6 six and six record because they had to hastily schedule a second FCS opponent due to the San Jose State game being canceled because of a, a, a tragedy on the team. So instead of an Appalachian State team that went 6-6, six and six, they purposely scheduled two FCS opponents. They went into the uh, best 5-7 and seven team based on academic performance rate, or, yeah, rate, um, and that was Rice. So Rice got in a bowl, and Appalachian State did not. Um I understand the reason why New Mexico State got the, got the waiver. It was beyond their control. But my question to you, TJ, is should, should Appalachian State have been granted a waiver going 6-6, six and six, even though they scheduled two FCS programs before they went into the APR to pull a 5-7 and seven rice? Well, I would like to clarify based on, you know, my, my opinion is based on the fact that like, no, I don't think app state got robbed because they had their full season and their full season consisted of two FCS schools. So I don't want to say that they got robbed, but I will say that five and seven rice over app state. If that's, if, if that's the case, if those are the two teams that the committee's in the room and they're saying, okay, it's App State or Rice, let's take a look at App State's wins on the season, okay? They beat in week two, then number six in the nation, Texas A&M. I will say that they finished five and seven, but that's a top ten win in a crazy week two for the Sun Belt for App State. They follow that up with a Hail Mary win against the Sun Belt champion, Troy Trojans. So there's two huge wins in back-to-back -back weeks. 
They beat the Citadel, who finished four and seven. That doesn't really matter because they're FCS. Um, they beat Georgia State, who finished four and eight, which, you know, once again, you know, Georgia State, I think, I don't think the record shows the full story with that team, but they did go four and eight. They're other win is against Old Dominion, who we talked about last week, underperformed, and then a second FCS win over Robert Morse, who not only is FCS, but finished 0-11 on the season. So there's some good wins, and there's some really not good wins. Okay, And you can make a case for Texas A&M either way on a good win or a bad win. But then you look at Rice, and... They beat McNeese State, who finished four and seven in FCS. Louisiana, who's going bowling with a six and six record. UAB, who's six and six. Louisiana Tech, who's three and nine. UTEP, who's five and seven. And then they also played then number rank number fourteenth ranked Southern California to open. So, in terms of those five wins. Their best opponent in terms of record that they've beaten is a tie between Louisiana and UAB with an even six mm-hmm. and six record. So I just I don't know. I don't know that you can I don't know that you can justify Rice goes in over App State if that's the decision. But like you said earlier, you know, a ton of a, a ton of tie breaking situations that you have to go to. They had to go down to APR for this one. So I'd you know. Hats off to Rice for for making a bowl game, but I think I don't know. I, I I think App State should feel a bit slighted here. And the one thing I have learned in in all my years of watching Appalachian State is, whenever they have a down year, watch out. Uh, the conference is going to be in for a redemption story. Because App State's going to come out guns a blazing, and they are going to be looking to put everyone in their place. They're probably going uh, right now. I think they're. I'll, I'd probably put them favorite to win the East next year, oh, just a, because that is a hot take. That is because the last time they failed to make a postseason, they won three consecutive national championships. Yeah, you have to go all the way back to their FCS days for that one because, as we said last week, they have not missed postseason play in any of their eligible FBS years. They have not missed postseason play. This is the first time it has ever happened. We told you last week that they lost in double overtime in the final game of the season in the deeper than hate against Georgia Southern. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think that App State – Definitely gets my vote over Rice if that's the option. Um, you know, you, you go down to APR, you go down to APR. But I just, you know, I think that my edge personally goes to App State, who, you know, they had their six wins. Yeah. Two of them were against FCS. But, you know, I I personally see that as, you know, App State had the better wins when you take away the FCS. I agree. Well, I, I was I was here and say this before we move on. Uh, if you really want to look at their best wins, each team played a ranked opponent. 
App State won. Rice got blown out. So, but yeah, and we're t- and we're talking number six versus number fourteen. Yeah, but um, you know, once again, congratulations to Rice. They it will be Southern Mississippi's job to make sure that Rice has a horrible bowl experience on the field. We want to make sure they have a good experience off the field, but on the field, we want them to get blown out. But speaking of, and I know we talked about uh, Jamie Chadwell uh, and everything going on. Uh, did we mention that Josiah Stewart has entered the transfer portal? We did not. And, um, you know, it, it's all speculation at this point, um, you know, based oh, yeah. on everything that we've heard, but that could have had an impact on um all american sophomore josiah stewart from coastal carolina entering the transfer portal so coastal's defense who already needed help uh they need a heck of a lot more uh come 2023 but another coaching change that happened was texas state fired jake spavadol on november 27th they replaced him with gj kin now kin just completed his first season coaching at incarnate word currently 11 and one and in the fcs quarterfinals and they will he will join the bobcats once the um once the incarnate word season is over uh texas state not only with a coaching change but they're currently undergoing a 36 million dollar renovation project that will add an 8000 square foot weight room a 3000 square foot training room a 4300 square foot uh meeting room space and two new hospitality spaces and that's due for completion in 2024 so Kyle I do want to ask you Texas State going all in here and, and really just, you know, just deciding that this is the year, you know, because Texas State did not have a great year this year. And I think we no. said that they they had they had some talent. They had Lane Hatcher and Ashton Hawkins um, at the quarterback and receiver positions and Lincoln mm-hmm. Perry at running back. But it just did not work out for them. So do you think this is Texas State finally putting their foot down and saying, you know what? It's time to be competitive in the best group of five conference there is. I I believe the um, uh, this project uh, was in the works prior to like you know the planning stages prior to the start of this season and definitely prior to Jake Spavinall being uh, uh, released from his position. Um, I think yes, this is Texas State going. We need to be competitive. If, if we're going to be able to recruit play, good players consistently, and if we're going to be able to attack the transfer portal with any semblance of good players, you got to have good facilities. And you know, this is definitely going to help them. And but let's let let's not sleep on the fact DJ Kine just completed his first season not just coaching at an incarnate word as a head coach in his first season as a head coach, he went, he's currently 11 and one. Um, they will either win three more games and win a national title or lose at least one more, but that's your first season at the FC le- FCS level. Now you're coming into the best group of five conference in FBS 
taking over for a team that has has some talent. But you know, I'm I'm happy for him, and I also love the fact that he's not leaving until their season is over. He's he's continuing the work to be done, and that's what a lot of coaches. Don't don't seem to realize these days. Whenever they they accept a new coaching position, they go, "All right, I'm I'm coaching somewhere else now. Bye, peace." You know, you got coaches like Deion Sanders and JG Kine who are like, "Hey, I have stuff to finish here. Then I will go to my new, new job." So, you know, great. I didn't know much about him until. Uh, looking at what his um, his uh, season has been, Incarnate Word, and Incarnate Word is a fairly new program to FCS. They've only been playoff eligible for like four years now. So, and the fact that they're in the Southland Conference that has been decimated, uh, they're one of the few uh, conferences in FCS has been decimated by the realignment that's happened over the last couple years. Uh, they're losing a couple members to the WAC. No, I'm sorry, to Conference USA, and I know uh, Sam Houston State. But you know, congratulations to him. I, I think uh, it's a good young hire. You you could have easily found one of the retread old coaches that had been been at twenty other places and try to use him as a stopgap. But no, you got this young head coach. I only got one year experience. So here's the thing. He doesn't have many bad habits to break. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, and I think that this is a good move. I mean, I think it's getting some new blood in there. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're about to go undergo a renovation for your football facilities, which Texas state desperately needed. And now you're bringing in a brand new head coach with, you know, like you said, young hire, good hire, and now it's his time to potentially leave his mark on the school. And I, I think that, I think it's a good, I think it's a good fit. You know, Texas state, obviously they, they looked at everything and they said, you know what, something needs to change. So we might as well just go balls to the wall here. And I think that's what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, right now, those have been the only two, um, Coaching moves in uh, F, you know, in the Sun Belt. Um, there are some vacant opportunities in Power Five schools that may look at a um, a coach from App State or coach from uh, Troy and maybe try to poach them. But we, if if we hear about it, we will report it and we will give you our take on it. But uh, TJ, like I said, we're done with football with the exception of uh, the ball games. So you, you know what that means, right? Uh, I do know what that means, but there is one more thing we got to talk about with football. Oh, um, okay. We, we See, do, I'm just trying to push this show ahead. And I, you I do. Hey, let's keep it I know. I know you want to get to basketball predictions because you are kicking my behind in predictions. But – um, I'm gonna I'm gonna delay that a little bit because we do got to talk about the Sun Belt Conference yearly awards. That's um, what. See, that's what I was getting you to do. Right, right, exactly. I was you up, and you're like, no, let me. 
that okay so that's uh that's that's a little reverse psychology for me i guess yeah um, the big story in the annual awards is player of the year goes to who else but grayson mccall quarterback out of coastal carolina it's his third straight player of the year honor, the only player in Sunbelt Conference history to win three awards in his career, let alone three straight. Uh, congratulations to Grayson McCall. But we're going to, as we move down this list, you're going to notice something. Offensive player of the year, Todd Centeo, quarterback out of James Madison. He also earned newcomer of the year to the Sunbelt. Uh, you got your defensive player of the year, Carlton Marshall, of course, out of Troy, linebacker, career tackles leader in NCAA. Uh, freshman of the year, Coastal Carolina's Jared Brown, wide receiver. Uh, he had an electric year this year. He was very effective in the jet sweep and the uh, speedster down the uh, down the side in the wideout. Um, coach of the year, I mean, you saw this coming. It's John Summerall out of Troy. Just one the seventh conference championship for Troy in his first season at the helm. And he's got 10 straight wins to finish the regular season, or I should say the postseason for Sunbelt play. He's got a chance for 11 straight in the bowl game. But now I got to ask you going back to those first two player of the year, Grayson McCall offensive player of the year, Todd Centeno. You look at these two guys side to side. In your opinion, Kyle, was Todd Centeno robbed of Player of the Year honors? Ooh, was Todd Centeno robbed? Okay, so I know we well, we, we we talked about this uh, the other day. So here here's here, here's what my my thinking is. If you're viewing the Player of the Year in the Conference and I, I looked it up. Very few conferences actually do offensive, defensive, and then a player of the year. I think the only conference I, I found that did that was the ACC. And uh, whoever won player of the year was either the offense or the defensive player of the year. Um, so if you view the player of the year as the person who is the best player in the 2022 football season, 100% Todd Centeno got robbed of player of the year because Todd Centeno was on par with uh, Grayson McCall, played about the same amount of games and was basic, was, was matching him. So if he's the offensive player of the year, there's no way he's not player of the year. The only only person I would put above him in the player of the year category is Carlton Marshall. When you set the career tackles record, you you deserve as as much uh, postseason love as possible. Right, because that's now, the other thing is is it doesn't have to be an offensive player. Right, and nine times out of ten it is because you know they never give love to defensive players. But it's like it's like the Heisman. Really, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it's rigged. Um, anyway, that's that's my hot take. That's all I want to say. It's rigged um, because the the best best player who should win it 
got injured in like the next last game of the season, and he wasn't even considered to be on the ballot. I don't, uh, uh-uh, I don't think so. That's uh, the quarterback for Tennessee, but Hendon Hooker. If he, and now, I agree with you, I think if the Player of the Year category is treated by the Sun Belt as the most valuable player. Like, who is the player who is most valuable to their team? That's 100% Grayson McCall. Like, we saw it against James Madison. We saw it. We, they should have lost to Southern Miss. So we, we saw that. If it, you take Grayson out, we're a different team. We're a 500 team at best. And then one of I mean, we, we, I mean, Coastal Carolina. So it's how the conference defines that award is whether Todd's and tail got, got robbed. If they define it as the, as the most valuable player, then it's Grace McCall. But if it's who is the best player on this, on the field for a Sunbelt team in the 2022 season, absolutely. Todd's and tail should have got it hand over fist. Well, I did want to sort of uh, go down the list here. I mean, if you're if you're talking quarterbacks, and we don't have to be talking quarterbacks for Player of the Year, it could have been Kalen Laburn, who had a thousand yards through um, through seven games. It could have been Carlton Marshall, as you said, Kyle. It could have been Frank Gore Jr., who played running back, quarterback, probably tight end, and probably defensive end for Southern Miss with all that he did. Um, you know, he, he might have been the offensive coordinator for all we know. Um, he did it all. But if you want to talk quarterbacks, because it has been a quarterback for a very long time in the Sun Belt when it comes to player of the year. Let's look at the quarterbacks then. There are 14 of them on this list for the 14 teams. And the first thing that you'll notice is that the number one uh, leader in passing yards decimates the rest of the league. It's Kyle Van Teresa, Georgia Southern. I think anyone would have saw that coming, uh, being that Georgia mm. Southern is such a passing, uh, is, is such a pass oriented offense. Uh, Kyle Van Trees, uh beat out the second place uh, Carter Bradley of South Alabama by almost a thousand yards in the air. Why isn't Kyle Van Trees player of the year? I'll tell you right now, because he also led the league in interceptions, 15 of them to be exact. That's more than one a game. And I think that that is single-handedly why Kyle Van Trees was not player of the year. Um, you know, 3,901 yards is great. 25 touchdowns is great. It's tied for second in the conference. 15 interceptions is not the stat that you want to lead in. So that takes out Ventries. Carter Bradley is right behind him because he's in a three-way tie for second place on interceptions. And for the very same reason, Carter Bradley, our guest Gunner Watson, and Lane Hatcher of Texas State, I think also missed the cut on player of the year just based on interceptions. So that brings us down to Chase Bryce, Hayden Wolf of Old Dominion, Todd Senteo of James Madison, and Grayson McCall of, North, of uh, Coastal Carolina. Hayden Wolf, I'm going to say he led a three and nine Old Dominion team. I, I don't see how you can say he's player of the year, you know, because uh, I do think that wins are a team stat. 
but I do think that if you're the quarterback of a three and nine team, that says something about your uh, ability to uh, win games. Um, so that's, that's what I'll say about Hayden Wolf uh, down to Todd Centeo. We'll leave him alone. Uh, Grayson McCall, will leave him alone. The other guy's chase Bryce of app state. Um, he is third on the list for passing yards. He leads the Sun Belt in touchdowns. But once again, it comes down to wins. Six and six, two of them against FCS teams, so your team's not going bowling. Not his mm-hmm. fault, obviously, but this is a this is a very highly anticipated App State team coming into this year, and you you drop half of your schedule. So I think for that reason, Hayden Wolf and, and Chase Price are out of the conversation, which leads Todd Centeno and Grayson McCall. Todd Centeno had more yards than Grayson McCall, and that's the main argument that I keep hearing, but it wasn't by much. It was, it was by 64 yards. It, it was by 64 yards, and the other cool thing is they both played the same amount of games. Grayson McCall was hurt for two games, uh, or three games. Excuse me, Todd Centeno was hurt for three games. Uh, two games, excuse me, because they had um, – they they had uh 10 or no they had an 11 game schedule so he was hurt for one game they both played 10 games that's the point that i'm trying to make here um so just barely beats him out in passing yards grayson mccall i think won it based on the fact that in just one more attempt passing the ball he had 16 more completions his completion rate led the sun belt with 69.1 to Todd Centeno's 63.7. And I Mm. think that that was a major factor. I I really think it was. Uh, Todd Centeno beat him out by touchdowns once again by one. One touchdown. But the other thing that you have to look at is interceptions. And while neither of them threw for many, Grayson McCall threw for fewer. Grayson McCall threw for two intercept through two picks the entire year. Todd Centeno threw five. So I think it all comes down to efficiency. So I think that Grayson McCall had a very good case here. But my thing is, if you're going to name one person Sunbelt player, offensive player of the year, then they've got it's it's got to be the offensive or the defensive player of the year winning the winning the whole thing. I mean that just doesn't make sense yeah. to me. So I understand why people are mad. Um, I I really do. Um, all the same, though, congratulations to Grayson McCall. I mean, that's that's an accomplishment. Um, do I think uh, that he deserved it this year? Not with ten games. I not not with ten games. I I don't think so. Um, not his fault that he got hurt. Uh, but in the yeah. same sense, if you're going to talk about ten games, then maybe Todd Centeno doesn't deserve it either. I, you know, that's just me. Yeah. But then you also have to look at Todd Centeno only missed one game because they already had a shortened right. schedule. And then he completely turned up on Grayson McCall's team and threw for four yeah. touchdowns yep. and had a five touchdown oh. game, I believe, earlier in the year. So I don't know. I, it's an interesting yeah, conversation. Oh, uh, here's okay. I, I know we need to talk about the all- conference teams but uh, i don't know if, if you noticed my face a little a little bit while you were talking i happened to pull up twitter and two very interesting tweets 
came, uh, came across, and I, I just got to get your take on it. So, uh, four days ago, Shot Talk put out a tweet said, for, lo- for the love of God, I don't care what it takes, keep Jared Brown and Conway 2023. Eleven hours ago, Jaden Brown replied with a, he is. Oh, so is that so a confirmed? Brown won't, uh, that is from his Twitter account. So potentially some breaking news. Jared Brown not entering the transfer portal, staying at Coastal Carolina, which I think is a good thing for that team. Um, it is a good thing. But here's here's the one that I, that I, I really want to get your opinion on. This is from C.J. Brewer. He says, I see a lot of college athletes entering the portal. The grass ain't always greener on the other side. And make sure you get you guys have the film before deciding to leave. Just because your boys are leaving don't mean you have to. Just my two cents. Well, I think it's safe to say that's completely aimed at Josiah Stewart as C.J. Brewer, former Coastal Carolina, Shauna Clear, uh, and Josiah Stewart, who plays the same position, uh, defensive line. Um, he just entered the transfer portal. Uh, C.J. Brewer actually just uh, was signed to uh, Bill's Mafia. He's, he's a Buffalo Bill right now. Absolutely. He was signed off the practice squad. So, um, yeah, I mean, that interesting really interesting really interesting that both of those were coastal carolina related um but <laughs> i don't know i th- i think the the town of conway has a lot of things to figure out before the start of the 2023 season um but let's uh Kyle why don't you take us through the uh the all conference teams absolutely so i mean I, we, we could sit here and basically go down every single player but that's like 100 players. Uh, let's just do a, a quick breakdown real quick. The first team, Troy led the conference with six selections, with four of the six coming on the defensive side of the ball, Carlton Marshall being one of them. Uh, second team, James Madison led the conference with four selections. This was led by quarterback Todd Centeno. Grayson McCall was the first team quarterback. Another interesting conversation. And in the third team, Southern Miss led the conference with six selections, followed by Coastal and Georgia Southern with five each. Um, I believe there was a couple uh, schools that didn't even have a first uh, a first team selection. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, that is the uh, – um, oh, here we go, the – all, all conference teams. Let, let's go look at the first uh, first team real quick. Let's just look at the skill positions. Grayson McCall, uh, quarterback. Kalon Laybourne, Damian Webb from South Alabama, uh, running backs. Your tight ends, uh, uh, Seydou Traore, sophomore out of uh, Arkansas State. Uh, Jamari Thrash from Georgia State. Chris Thornton from James Madison and Allie Jennings III from Old Dominion were the wide receivers. Uh, defensive side of the ball, uh, the defense, there's m- multiple defensive linemen, linebackers. Like I said, Carlton Marshall stands out. Uh, Mika Abraham from Marshall, defensive back. Uh, 
uh, Nick Hamilton from App State, and then uh, TJ Jackson from Troy. So, um, oh, and uh, oh, we got to give love to special teams. And that is where we find Frank Gore Jr., all-purpose, first-team, all-Sunbelt uh, all Conference. Congratulations. I know his dad, Frank Gore, is happy wherever they are living at right now. But like I said, it's, it's interesting how some of the new teams have dominated the all-conference. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the performance of all of them, I mean, it's 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 deserved. You know, you you brought up Kalen Laburn. Um, yeah, best running back in the Sun Belt, one of the best running backs in the nation uh, this year. So yeah, he definitely deserves his uh, his first team selection. Um, looking at James Madison, I mean, you could pull out you you could pull out any name of that roster, and they deserve to be a. Uh, uh, an, on an all-conference team, Todd Centeo being one of them, and and Chris Thornton, and uh, you know, yeah. so like that th- that team is is really really good. And then um, Southern Miss, like I said, Frank Gore Jr. I can't say enough about him. So right. yeah, I, I I like the selections, and I like the fact that the new blood in the conference is continuing that iron sharpens iron mentality. I think people are getting sick of me mm-hmm. saying that. Um, I've kind of coined that term since you, uh, since you brought it up that one time, but, uh, it's become mine. So technically I coined a term. No, 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 no. I, I no. made it popular. I made it hip. Um, you wouldn't know. All right. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I will say this though. Kyle Ventries was the quarterback for the third team. All offense, uh, looking at some of the honorable mentions, uh, each school got four honorable mentions. Um, App State, Chase Bryce and Nate Noel, uh, Arkansas State, James Blackman, uh, Coastal, C.J. Beasley, uh, Tyson Mobley uh, from Georgia Southern, uh, kicker Alex Rayner, uh, Darren Granger from Georgia State, Tucker Gregg also, uh, Drew Painter and uh, tight end and Jordan Swan, defensive back for James Madison, uh, Louisiana, Johnny Lumpkin, tight end. UOM, uh, Caleb Sutherland, the kicker, Marshall, um, Kobe Cumberlander, Old Dominion, Blake Watson, South Alabama, Carter Bradley. We talked about a lot about him this season. Uh, Southern Miss, Jalen Williams, Texas State, uh, Ashton Hawkins was a um, honorable mention. And then from Troy, uh, Tez Johnson, uh, wide receiver, and uh, KJ Robertson, linebacker. So those were some of the like honorable mentions that we uh, we uh, we definitely had that that could have been a third, uh, second team. Um, yeah, I mean, congratulations to everyone. It's good to see that the new the new schools in the conference are uh, represented very well. Um, this this now let me ask this one question. Does this mean to some of the conferences that didn't, uh, some of the teams that didn't have first team All Americans or All Sun Belt, that they're going to have to step up their game, or otherwise they're going to be pushed aside from 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 these new members? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you you, you want to try and get your your All Conference teams um, selections up. I mean, it it just shows your success as a program, which. 
kind of leads me to what I wanted to say, which was Carter Bradley only getting an honorable mention is kind of, it's kind of BS in my opinion. I mean, the, the run that South Alabama went on best season in school history and their quarterback was um, in terms of passing yards second in the league. You know, we talked about his interceptions, but you just look at the final record for South Alabama. Carter Bradley deserved to be on at least the third team. Um, that's just my two cents on it. Um, you know, Van Tree. We also got to remember. Yeah, because you have – so if, if he's one of the top three quarterbacks, who do, who do you replace Kyle Van Trees with? Centeno? Yeah, and that's, that's what I was – yeah, that's what I was about to say. I mean, it, 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 it kind of sucks for Carter Bradley because it's such a quarterback powerhouse league that this year that um, he, he falls to honorable mention. But, I mean, I don't know. I You know, let's – I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I honestly put Carter Bradley on the same level as Kyle Van Treese just for the sake of the fact that he, he led his team to the, the greatest season in school history. And, mm. and then, you know, Kyle Van Treese just decimated everybody else in passing yards. But uh, Tez Johnson being an honorable mention surprised me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the number one receiver for Troy, Jerry Miller, we talked with last week. He, he, he said he, he's the big playmaker. Um, you know, I, I don't know about that one either, but yeah, I mean, Hey, congratulations to the Sunbelt all conference award winners. Um, and now I, there's nothing else I can delay this with. I, we have to get to predictions. And we do have to get the prediction. I'm really not and happy about how ahead. those numbers look. <laughs> really not. Uh, I, I So apparently in the basketball matchup, the part of Coastal Carolina was played by TJ and the part of Troy was played by me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kyle went 5-0 and last week. I went 2-3. and um, Really, But you did pick that. Troy over Coastal? In, in the conference championship game. I did. So, I did. We, so I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with the football one. Right. So we're, we're going to, after the uh, final bowl game, uh, which will probably be, we'll do those predictions in, we'll, we'll recap them in about two weeks. Uh, once we recap the final bowl games, which does include Coastal and Georgia Southern, we will crown who the football prediction champion is, and then we'll and then but we'll continue to go a you know add our totals because right now I am eight games ahead of you overall. I have seventy one wins. You have sixty three. Yeah, so. you want to say you want to say it one more time? Be a little more condescending about it. All right. Anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> so anyway, because of my huge lead, um, <laughs> oh, the words oh, I wish Lord. I could use. Um, exactly. Uh, we'll event one day. We'll, we'll we'll make this podcast uncensored. But other than that, <laughs> I mean, technically, you can say it, and we can always just uh, bleep it out. But anyway, no, family friends. Um, so, exactly. So let's let's go into our um, predictions. 
we have two for seven basketball matchups, two in the men, uh, five in the women. A lot of these schools are going through finals right now and are in, in their finals breaks. That's the reason why we have very few matchups. I had to pull the men's matchups because we are not no there's no uh, power seven t- uh, conference matchups, so I kind of had to find the best ones. So first and foremost, Arkansas State travels to Air Force. Air Force leads the series three and two, and ended a three game. Um, but Arkansas State ended a three game losing streak last season. Um, TJ, who you got? Um, I'm gonna go with Air Force here. Um, I I think that Arkansas State uh, is gonna. Uh, you know, I, I think that they'll end up uh, turning some stuff around, but I think Air Force at this point in time, uh, I, I like them in this game a little bit better. I have, I have to agree with you. Um, yeah, Arkansas State is kind of, kind of you know, up and down, um, kind of like Carolina Panthers uh, quarterback room. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but, uh, let's talk about, let's see, Air Force a little bit. Air Force, I mean, they're six and four. They're towards the bottom of the Mountain West, but they, they have a six and four record. Um, so they're, they're doing very well in, in their conference. So I'm, I'm agree with you. I think Air Force is going to win. Um, a matchup that is a old Southern Conference rivalry, Marshall at UNCG. But here's the thing, though. They never really played. They were never in the conference at the same time in basketball, which is weird to say. Um, UNCG lost to Marshall in their only meeting in November of 2006. Does UNCG right their ship, or does Marshall continue on their winning ways? I think Marshall continues winning. Uh, Tavion Kinsey, I, I really like him. Um, I think he's going to lead this uh, this uh, this Thundering Herd team to a win, and I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah, you UNCG is four and six uh, this year. Uh, they have a close loss to a number nine Arkansas team. Uh, lost to Miami. Lost to Townsend. Uh, and lo- and lost to Hofstra and A T. So, I agree with you. I think uh, Marshall is going to defeat UNCG, but I don't think it. Marshall is going to get a workout, um, but in the end, Marshall will overcome it. So let's go to women's. And apparently, my math is um, uh, a little off. We had four women's, but conveniently enough. W- because of the delay in uh, doing the interview, we couldn't predict this game because it was already happening and it just went final. So Tulane defeated Troy 103-100, but in double overtime. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that matchup uh, next week because it looks like it was a, a very good one. But we know this game has not happened. Let's move on to Alabama and Southern Miss. Alabama leads the series four to three. Southern Miss has not won in the series since December of 1988. Does the streak end this season? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I think Alabama's too good, so I'm going to go with them. I agree with you. Um, now we got Louisiana at Auburn. Auburn leads the series three games to none. Uh, last meeting was November of 2018. Uh, are you riding on the Raging Cajuns or are you riding with the Tigers? Well, I'm going to have to go with the uh, SEC team again because uh, Louisiana is five and four to start this year. Um, I think that Auburn is going to, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be less than 10 points, but I think that Auburn is going to pull out the victory in this one. Absolutely. They already have a victory over a Sunbelt team in South Alabama, which that game was only by nine points. Uh, Their two losses were to a ranked Indiana team and Georgia Tech. So, I'm going to say this, though. Just because we need to have a little parity here, we don't want it to be boring, I'm going with Louisiana. I'm just going to go there. Well, I'll just say that off mic, this has been anything but boring. This has, this has been absolutely hilarious. Um, we're going to keep uh, – we're going to – stay tuned to the end of the episode. I'm going to put a blooper in. Um, <laughs> oh my God. yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Cause that, that was too funny. Um, but our last game, we got an in-state rivalry, Arkansas state at Arkansas, Arkansas leads the series, Arkansas, not state leads the series six to three, the last win for Arkansas state, not, not state <laughs> was in the 2005 women's national invitational tournament. So do you have Arkansas State or Arkansas not State? So, first of all, may I say I am so proud that you remember what WNIT stood for and that you yeah. didn't look at it and send me a text like, what's the stand for again? So, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. It was uh, a very embarrassing our- experience, so I have to remember it now. It's ingrained in my memory. Just like the blooper so, that's happening our- after the outro. <laughs> So Arkansas State is it's four and three. The teams they've lost to were Louisiana Tech, UT Martin, and Oklahoma. All right. Uh, Arkansas, on the other hand, is ranked twenty-first in the nation with a ten and zero record. So, I think this is going to be a very difficult pick. And I figure I'm going to try to stretch out as long as possible. And I'm done, Arkansas. And I'm going to go with Arkansas too. I'm not going to. I'm not going to make it dramatic at all. Um, Arkansas State is uh, four and three. Arkansas not state uh, is in the SEC, and that's really my only argument that I have there. Um, but that's it. We don't have any football to predict. No, it's weird. It is. It is really weird. Uh, but. We'll have a ton of football to pick from next week. We're going to do a bowl preview next week on Under the Sun, but that's all we've got for you today. Signing off is TJ O'Sullivan. That's Kyle Nashheim. We've got bowl. Who is very worried about the blooper to be put on after this. Yeah, you know what? Screw the rest of the outro. Stick around for the blooper. We'll see you later. Let's go. 
go to the women's side of things, the uh, first ever meeting between the Temple Owls traveling to Norfolk to play Old Dominion. If you look at Temple, Temple is currently four and five on the year, but let's let's look at their losses. They lost to a ranked Princeton team, which which only happens in women's basketball. They lost to St. John's. They lost by three to a ranked Villanova team, uh, St. Joseph's, and they lost to Old Dominion. Wait, what? Did this game already happen? Did this game already happen? We're going to have to cut something out. <laughs> We're going to have to start this over. What we, don't the have hell? To, we don't have to start it over. Just pick it up from the next game. Mike, hold on. 